How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Goose Gossip Podcast. I'm your host, Levi Gerke. I have an Instagram page that keeps you updated on all new episodes as well as upcoming things. I'd like to take this time to thank my sponsors, first being Webfoot Waterfowl. They make an absolutely amazing lanyard. So if you are in the need for a lanyard, go to their website, webfootwaterfowl.com. So if you purchase through Webfoot, make sure to use the code GOOSE15. That's the code GOOSE15. It will give you 15% off their lanyards. Also, go check out Ultimate Automotive Mobile Detailing. Tristan does a tremendous work. If you're from the Mitchell, South Dakota region or nearby and want your vehicle brought back to new, give him a call at 605-933-9020. I'd like to thank you all for listening to the Goose Gossip Podcast. Hope you all enjoy and take care. go welcome back folks to another episode of the goose gossip podcast and on the line today with me is jr borschel how's it go jr hey what's going on man what so where, where are you from jr let's start with that well originally i grew up in uh rural illinois um kind of southwest of chicago um and then in high school we moved to missouri and I grew up uh, throughout my high school days, and pretty much thereafter, I lived outside of Kansas City, and uh, now I live in Northwest Missouri, about almost two hours north of Kansas City. I'm actually about 15 minutes from the Iowa border. So, has that been treating you well? Yeah, I like it up here. It's, I used to live in a subdivision, but when I lived back in the city, and now I live out in the country, and uh, it's nice to be able to go outside and not have to worry about hearing neighbors or anything, you know. <laughs> yeah. So now, I could actually shoot I shoot geese out my backyard, so that's pretty nice. You ever set up a decoy spread in the backyard, lazy style? Yeah. Um, two years ago, we actually in uh, early goose season, uh, our cornfield. On the north side of my house here was the only one that was cut, and it was cut for silage during early goose season in Missouri. Yeah. And every goose that was in Maryville was coming out here and using it. And uh, one of my guys actually killed a 32-year-old banded honker. 30 fucking two years old, huh? It was it was banded in Maryville 32 years ago, 1987. And I am 35, almost 36. And that goose, it was a female. So you can imagine how many hatches it had no kidding years. you must be so you must be pretty good at, at hunting then because you fooled that that goose you know past its 32 years and i think uh you know it, it fell out of a flock so probably a young one let her in you know it's just like snow goose hunting and kind of prey on those uh good hatch years you know try to get some of the juvies to pull adults in and stuff and i think it's the same thing um yeah it's pretty interesting so now Old you bird. so now you run and organize everything um for a waterfowl assassins that's you that's your company correct yes 
So now how uh-huh. long have you been doing, um, running for that system, you know, like guiding and everything like that? Um, in the early years I, I had a full-time job, um, and I guided mostly on the weekends or like layoffs. I was in the union. So, um, we had our slow times was kind of in the winter. So I get laid off sometimes like before Christmas and then we'd have some slow times, um, to where I could actually guide for a few weeks straight or something like that. Right. February, snow goose season and stuff like that. So uh, I started Waterfowl Assassins with a couple buddies of mine um, where I was like 18. Um, I had been helping out guides and stuff, uh, a couple guide services in northwest Missouri when I was in high school and um, kind of did some honker hunt stuff on my own. And then... Uh, after high school, we were all sitting around the table, you know, and a couple of my buddies that were real hardcore, you know, hunting with me and stuff, and we're all like, hey, let's let's kind of do something on our own here. And that was, I mean, back in, like, the early 2000s, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, there was no TikTok or Snapchat. Right. It was all... Yeah, dial-up internet. I had to go to my parents' house and and you know Google search and Google was like not not a very strong search engine back in the day either. But so we sat down, we wrote down a bunch of like ideas for names, and uh, waterfowl assassins kind of stuck. Um, I was just you know like playing words. Just we hunt out and kill waterfowl. So waterfowl assassins, whatever. <laughs> I like the name. Um, so it is unique. You know, it was, it was different. We I looked at a bunch of different guide services and I Google searched waterfowl assassins, nothing came up. So I registered it as a fictitious, a fictitious name and got my LLC and all that stuff. My parents kind of, well, my dad's always been a, a company man. So he's uh, owned his own businesses and stuff for the years. So he helped me understand how to do things. He never really funded anything, but he, he would help me out with the uh, knowledge side of things. And uh, I kind of kicked off back then, and I kind of did, like, weekend honker hunts and stuff in Missouri, and then uh, snow goose hunts in the spring, and even that, it wasn't, like, huge. And um, in the last 10 years, it really started building up and building up to the point where uh, in 2015, I had to make a choice whether I wanted to continue on being a full-time worker and traveling over the road and turning a ranch the rest of my life or I wanted to really break over. It was, it was kind of neck and neck with each other. I was getting to the point where I was almost too busy guiding to work full-time and it was, I was busy working full-time to do the guiding thing. So I either had to do one or the other. And uh, one day I just, I don't know, something in me snapped and I was like, all right, well, this is what's going to happen. And uh, I retired um, after 13 years and withdrew my retirement and invested in myself and my company and and took it a lot bigger and and uh, the first year doing full time was it was rough it was a it was a weird transition you know it was it was different going from having an everyday work schedule to 
breaking over that right. that boundary and getting into my own schedule and uh, creating my own hustle, you know, and not having a a steady paycheck that first year was was pretty rough too. It was like, oh man, I got to figure out how to how to work around this, you know, booking and stuff. And it's uh, it was definitely a challenge that first year from the in the transition. Has it, but has it been almost like, um, you know, your strive for success, has it been a bumpy road or was it kind of, you know, here and there, it was just like, okay, things are gathering themselves together or was it just tremendously hard to get it rocking and rolling for many years? Um, I always had that. It it was never, my full-time job was my main source of income. So I always wanted to be a full-time guy and I always kind of strive to make it my full-time gig. But, uh, like I said, back in the early two thousands and, and before real social media really took off, I had a website and even at that, if you didn't really have that many clicks back in the day that it didn't bring you up, uh, unless they like typed in your name and searched your name on a, on Google, it would not bring it up really. So it was kind of hard as far as that kind of advertising stuff. So I had a lot of word of mouth back then and it was never a a real source of main income. It was always kind of like side money to me, you know, and I didn't really have a crew back then. It was like me, maybe a couple of my buddies would help me out. Um, We'd only run like one spread on those days. And now it's like, we're running multi-states, multi-spreads uh, daily. Um, snow, like snow goose season, it's like four spreads a day. Uh, duck season, we got a couple of different groups going out a day. Um, I kind of cut back on the duck hunt stuff after we had a really bad flood in uh, northwest Missouri in 2019. So damaged a lot of property. I mean, wow. thousands and thousands of acres got got damaged Uh almost totally destroyed some of the duck duck properties that um, were floodable and stuff. And a lot of farmers that own these duck properties that we lease from didn't want to replace pumps and spend right. the thousands of thousands of dollars that they, didn't really, they, just, they just didn't care anymore. Just gave up on it, you know. They were just like, well, we're, we're just done with the duck hunting stuff now. So it kind of screwed some things up and we had to – I would like to be able to go out and buy a whole bunch of acreage, but the way the property prices are going now, it's like ridiculous. I I wish I had a couple million dollars just laying around to buy property, but no kidding. Um, it'd be also nice to have a few multi-million dollar investors in my back pocket too. But um, <laughs> I wish I had those too. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, over the years, it's been that. Uh, definitely I've seen a change and a shift in advertising. I mean, now it's, we're doing social media marketing is, is very, uh, important as far as a business aspect goes, because most of it's free. I mean, you can sit there and make posts on Instagram and Facebook and stuff daily. It doesn't cost you a dime and a lot of people see it. Um, and then, say you share it, then five of your buddies share it, then five of their buddies share it. I mean, that just, it gets out real quick. And it's not like 
a search engine with a uh, with a website anymore, which we also have a nice website. Um, some of the old old school generations that are older than me uh, still use the old. I'm going to get online and look at a website. Uh, a lot of guys are in like their 40s or above. Whenever they uh, actually talk to me or something like, you got a you got a website or uh, they'll email me from my website and I'm like, oh, just call me. <laughs> it's easier to talk talk it. And I'm in the I'm in that weird generation where I hate using emails. Like, it, <laughs> and I never it never caught on with with me in in that aspect. But uh, I'd rather just you call me or text me. I can answer back a lot faster than what an email is. You know, I can. But that generation, like I said, they like having all that information that you type to them all right there at their fingertips so they could pull it up and show their buddies, be like, okay, well, it says right here, you know, or they forward it to all their buddies. Right. But it's definitely definitely a lot different now being 2021 from, like, 2001. It's it's crazy how different it is with – that kind of aspect. So is it just yourself that's running this now? I know you said that you started with, started with some buddies at the age of 18, but is it just yourself now that's running all the social media, all the booking and everything, or is there more than just yeah. you? I, uh, if you see a post on Facebook or social media or anything like that, it's, it's, it's me. Like, uh, you're going to be talking to me. Uh, I got a couple admins or whatever on my Facebook page just to help monitor things. But, uh, the Instagram page is is me. Um, I'm the sole proprietor of my LLC, so uh, there's no co-owners or anything. It's all myself. Uh, the couple buddies that uh, kind of sat around the round table with me back in the day and uh, created this whole thing with me, or you know, kind of conjured it up. You know, they're <clears throat> they're still my buddies, and um, they've moved on to different things and never really clicked with them. You know, they, they like to hunt. They just never really got into the whole guiding thing. Um, they they got families and, uh, their own careers now. So, uh, it never really stuck with them, even though they, they like to come on every once in a while. That's about, about all I could do. You know, they got a handful of kids or whatever, but, uh, we, uh, still keep in contact or whatever. I, they still live, uh, kind of down by Kansas City, which is a, it's a couple hours for me. So once again, say, uh, social media, Facebook and stuff is a good way to keep in contact with your buddies and stuff. So they, they see what's going on and they're like, oh, hey, you know, you got some empty spots that I might be able to sneak in for a day or two, then let me know, you know. But uh, there's uh, always been that uh, camaraderie between all of us if, right. if I got some – if I think it's going to be good or something like that, then I give them a holler and be like, Hey, can you want to come up? If you can come up, you know, come on. Uh, we might kill a bunch of snow geese tomorrow or duck season or whatever. Sometimes I, <clears throat> my birthday is November 15th. So I usually kind of reserve that day and have a bunch of my buddies and family, if they can come or whatever, uh, come duck hunt with me. And that's right in the middle of duck season for us. So get an opportunity to all chill in the blind together and, Lay back and enjoy the hunt, actually. Yeah, tell stories about the good old days and how we kind of all started off. And it's definitely grown. You know, it's it's a lot of work. Uh, you you were talking about the booking stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I get 
text messages, emails, phone calls, Facebook messages and stuff by the dozens every day. You know, people asking questions. Everybody wants to know the details about the hunt and how everything went last year and how everything, my prediction of what this year is going to go. And, you know, being a hunting guide, you're almost like a weatherman. I mean, you're right about half the time. And then the other times, it's it's just whatever the birds are doing. <laughs> right. Whatever the weather is doing, you know. Weather plays a big role in anything, waterfowl. So uh, my, my main thing is I just try to, when I talk to clients about what I think this year is going to be like, I say, well, these dates on last year were good. So, you know, you kind of go back the last five years or so, and this is about a good good time frame for when the birds are here in this area or when they're here in this area. Um, and that's about all you can do. I mean, if I could predict the future, if any of, any of us could predict, predict the future on this you know we'd all be billionaires so definitely uh waterfowl hunting is is a trial and error almost every time you go i don't i don't care who you are i mean everybody learns a new thing every day whenever they're they're chasing these birds because you're constantly trying to (coughs) keep a leg up on them you know right try to try to stay ahead of what the birds are going to do and you could set up on the next field there, there could we, me and you could go to a field and scout it out. There could be a hundred thousand birds in this field and be like, oh, we're gonna slaughter birds in that field. We wait till they leave and go back to roost. We set up in that field and the next day they don't even come back. We don't even see one bird because we got a cold front or something overnight for a full moon and they all migrated out. Mm-hmm. It, it just happens. I mean, every hunt you go into, you got to have high hopes, uh, you know, some kind of optimism whenever you go into a hunt that you're gonna have a good hunt. But always have that in the back of your head that anything can change because uh, you are fighting you're you're hunting a a a bird right that has instincts you know and that's what they solely live off is instincts the survival uh, survival instincts you know they they got to eat they got to have open water and they got to have comfort security so. If they're not safe, they don't feel safe in the area, there's a hunting pressure. Um, obviously, if you get a snowstorm or something or, or frigid cold temperatures and everything locks up and your food's covered up with snow, then all those birds are going to migrate south to where there's no snow and there's open water and there's less hunting pressure. Over so, the years, has it gotten easier for yourself you know running a a guide system and and getting clients on birds or is it just a constant battle every year uh it's definitely a constant battle i mean it's things are always changing i mean uh hunting pressure is changing um there's obviously um more guide services around than there was 15 years ago um it's getting harder and harder to get on land. Uh, that's probably one of the biggest things. And it's getting more expensive to get on property too. If you're leasing, um, a lot of the, some of these farmers think their, their grounds are price of gold. And whenever the commercialized hunting has, uh, come into play, a lot of these farmers are just like, Oh, they just see dollar signs. Like I'm going to make a quick a thousand dollars off of you. And then you're like, man, I used to be able to lease these fields back in Arkansas like 10 years ago for like 
hundred bucks, you know, throw off throw a hundred bucks and they'd be happy about it. And they were questioning why the, why the hell are you chasing these freaking snow geese? Like right. ducks were king, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago in Arkansas. And if you asked anything about snow goose, they, they didn't give two shits. Don't <laughs> run my field up. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, but if you tried to get on the ground for ducks down there, it was a different story. It's still like that down there, but now, um, like we run hunts in Arkansas for ducks and specks and snow geese in the spring. So, uh, the last few years has been kind of up and down as far as, um, duck hunting goes, but the speck hunting has been pretty good down there. And, uh, snow goose season, obviously if, if you pay attention to anybody that snow goose hunts, the last few years have been kind of up and down too. Um, 2019 was, everybody talks about 2019 was bad hatch and the migration was weird. Uh, we had real frigid cold in Missouri, pretty much all the way down to about the Louisiana line. There was <clears throat> just about all the water was locked up. I, I remember leaving here Christmas to head down to Arkansas and it was, uh, negative 34 with the wind chill and my diesel didn't like it. That was for sure. <laughs> but, uh, I head down the Arkansas for Christmas every year after spending Christmas with my daughter. And, uh, I, I was paying attention the whole way down. Um, and we didn't hardly see any birds, no snow geese, no ducks, no hardly any honkers either. There was a lot of birds that migrated south and deep south. And um, it was, I think, uh, we didn't have a thaw. It didn't thaw out till probably the first week, after the first week of January. And it was rough down there. Um, even the spec hunt in 2019 was kind of rough. Uh that was kind of where everybody started transitioning to uh, hunting specs primarily out of like A-frame blinds and edge hunting. And that's kind of the thing now. A lot of outfitters are using A-frames and stuff to goose hunt out of um, instead of laying out the decoys. And it's definitely helped a lot because those birds got so wary of seeing like snow goose hunting, there'd be a lot well white blotches in the middle of the spread and, they're starting to pick up on that, I think, and uh, get out of the decoys on the edge of the field with hay frames or panel blinds, and they don't see those, you know, super tight pack area in the in the spread and just a big white blotch, and they don't don't pick up on that now, and they they feel a little bit more comfortable, I think. But right. we even avoided trying to do just tight packed areas of decoys in the spread. We try to keep them kind of loose and do family groups and stuff here and there and uh, <clears throat> try to avoid just that blob in the middle of the spread, you know, like where people used to lay out. And we still, when we get to Northwest Missouri, we, we go back to layouts in the hills, but uh, that flat ground is, is different. Like uh, those birds can pick out things on that flat ground a lot easier. And when we get in the hills up here in Northwest Missouri for snows, uh, I mean, there's, some of these fields, um, there's terrace channels and stuff you can hide in. Uh, Bobby Guy came in and videoed in 2018 uh, in northwest Missouri with us. And the hill that 
he refers to on there. We'll be back on again this year. It's back in uh, corn crop rotation this year. So um, there's a terrace channel along the top edge of that that field on that hill. And we, we've actually put panel blinds in that ch terrace channel or layout blinds for uh, now most of the time in the hills we'll use our backboards and like wear a white top. And uh, it's a good way to hide um, any kind of blind because there's just that structure in the field. You know, there's a the hill comes down a little bit and then there's another, another mound. You know, I don't know if you live in South Dakota. I don't know if they do a whole lot of terrace channels, like terracing up on no, the hills up there. But not um, really. It's a. Uh, I could send you a picture. I've, I've taken a couple of pictures of that hill where we've put layout blinds down in there and brushed them up real good. And you can't hardly see them unless they're open. But it's a. Uh, any any time you can have some kind of structure for a hide, it's going to help you out dramatically. So. Um, I always like to find a good drawn out hilltop yeah. and with if you got a terrace channel in there too to break up your outline, that's even better. It's I love hunting in the hills up here. That's it's probably one of my favorite things to do hunting snows, hunting big migrator spreads and on on a hilltop and just watching those big big spins come down from a mile high. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I still have not got to to witness that or witness that with snow goose hunting. Um Still one of my dreams, and there'll be the day that I that it happens, and it's going to tear me apart because then my bank account's <laughs> even going to hit bottom zero again. Well, like uh, the, usually, like I said here, like I'm going to talk to you like client right now. Um, usually, the first week of March is about historically the best time to be in Northwest Missouri because Squaw Creek starts to peak out. Uh, usually, the first week of March, Squaw Creek was our national wildlife refuge. Also. The official name now is Lowest Bluffs, but um, any of the locals around here are still going to call it Squaw Creek, and I've been guiding around Squaw Creek for the last almost 20 years now, so um, it'll always be Squaw Creek to me. But <clears throat> So if I refer to that, it's Lowest Bluffs. But um, the first week of March, usually the migration from the south to the north, uh, Squaw Creek peaks, peaks about a million, a million and a half about that first week of March. And then... Towards that end of the first week of March is when the we'll start seeing more juvies show up from the south. They'll start catching up to some of the adults, and then the adults will leave from Squaw Creek and head up to your area of the country in South Dakota. So uh, we actually have some pretty good shoots that first first week of March, second week of March, and uh, it's the same thing. We hunt those refuge birds too. Uh, we'll be we have a couple spreads that are just outside of uh, the refuge, a couple miles up into the hills, and uh, they fly out. And it's almost like they're migrators when they fly out because they fly out real high out of the refuge too. And then they they'll go out and find fields that they want to feed in and stuff outside the refuge. And it's pretty cool to see you see a million, million and a half birds twice a day. They come out to feed in the morning, they fly back to the refuge uh, to loaf, and then they fly back out in the afternoon to feed. And then they fly back to the refuge to roost at night. So it's pretty crazy seeing that many birds twice a day. You know, it's they see a lot of stuff, that's for sure. That is true. I mean, the bird gets almost so vast, like, interested on a lot of things. And they then they tend to start figuring out that 
their interest on something like that, like a spread or something, is not safe. And then they start to oh. just generate. And that's why you got to change your spreads constantly all the time, you know. I'm a hardcore believer in uh, strength and numbers. And I don't care if you hunt full bodies or, or socks or whatever, but um, <clears throat> we have a big full body spread that we usually put in the bottoms. And then uh, last year we had a couple of big sock spreads, and they were – 100% socks, and those sock spreads do real good, too. Uh, they offer a lot of movement. Uh, you can have a whole bunch of them. Like, I got thousands of them, and I'm, I'm a big believer in strength and numbers when it comes to snow geese, and uh, I think they they work in decoy with uh, less qualms about it when you got, like, three, 4,000 decoys out on a hill versus, like, Arkansas – we're hunting primarily feeds down there, so we're using like 1,200 decoys or 750 to 1,200 decoys really on the average. So you can get up here and we're hunting uh, semi-permanent spreads in northwest Missouri, and those those birds, you're going to see a million and a half birds in the morning or the afternoon, and you're probably going to shoot, I'd say on a good day. I mean, any any day that you're shooting over 20 snow geese is a good day, but if you shoot like 45 birds, 50 birds or something like that on a permanent spread on these migrated birds, I mean, that's a good day. You're going to have some fun. For sure. Yeah. A lot of people have this this uh, false expectation that you're going to go out and snow goose hunt and you're going to kill 100-plus birds every day, and it just doesn't happen like that. So I try to trying to make people realize that if you if you're shooting like 20 25 30 snow geese on your hunts and i mean it's a pretty good day and if you hunt three days and you have you might have one day where you shoot five it's just the way it's just the way it is that day i mean the birds just don't want to play or who knows the weather clouds no wind too much wind uh anything could come in the, as a factor of whether or not these birds are going to want to play right or not and the next day you can shoot <clears throat> 60 70 birds and that's a that's a stellar day too and then the oh, next day sure. you can shoot maybe 30 40 birds too and that's another good day i mean any any day you're out hunting is a better day than work you know <laughs> that's what people underestimate is that you you're literally paying for an experience and i said that before but it's like you literally are you're on a vacation yeah i know you're paying for you know a, a lifetime experience you know something that's not you're used to or whatever but at the same time like you're away from work you're away from other people you're just you're just out in the elements and you're just disappearing from everything and it's like yeah. how do you not enjoy it just regardless you know what i mean like you're you're gambling when you when you pay for an outfitter or a guided yeah. hunt you know yeah it's a it's 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 definitely, and this goes back to the social media thing, it's definitely turned into, like, uh, I could tell, if I get some of the old, older guys that are my age or older, they're a little bit more understanding. They want to come hang out with their buddies and stuff that college friends or whatever, they all get together and uh, make a trip out of it. And they're, after the hunt, they're drinking beer, they go eat, you know, they're chilling. The next day they're in the field and they actually want to interact with the guy. That, um, I have several guys that work for me, so... Um, sometimes I'm in the field, sometimes I'm not, but usually if I got clients that, uh, want me as their guide for the day, then like some of my guys that have been coming, coming for years on end now, uh, those, those type of guys want to, when it's slow, you know, I'll get up, I 
turn the e-collars down or off or something like that or uh, have one of the main e-collars that's close to us and I turn it off or whatever and I got some surround uh, surround sound speakers that still play some some sounds about half volume or whatever. So it's not super loud. Well, you know, sit, stand around and, and BS, you know, and then all of a sudden it's it's that time when you're least expecting it. You're all sitting around talking telling stories and stuff and all of a sudden you look up and you're like oh shit there's there's like four right here you know right. feet down looking and you know you couldn't buy a snow goose like that sometimes like you're you're you know trying so hard you're throwing everything at them like trying different sounds or whatever and turn rotaries on you're f- waving flags doing whatever changing the spread around a little bit try to open the hole up or close the hole or or whatever and uh it's that one time where everybody's standing up BS and all of a sudden you look up and there's birds like 25 yards right above your head, just rah, rah, squawking. They don't even give two shits that you're standing there, but right. <clears throat> we, uh, we definitely, for our clients, we try to just have a good time, you know, try to laugh, tell jokes, tell stories, whatever, have fun in the slow times. Cause ultimately what makes a good guide is their personality. You know, if you can have, a guy with with a good personality and outgoing and able to talk to clients and make them laugh and stuff in the slow times, it makes the good times, times when it, the birds start getting busy, you know, that much better. Are but, you are you yeah. excited for the season to start then and just jump back into all that laughter and enjoyment and all the new clients and everything of that nature? Yeah, I get pretty bored in the summer. I mean. <laughs> pretty much all summer long I work from home so it's I'm working on the marketing side of things and social media and talking to clients and uh, we talked about podcast things uh, what was it, a couple three weeks ago and I was like man I don't really get to do the whole podcasting very often I don't I never really knew how to go about it and I said hey let's sit down and have a discussion about some of this stuff and right so this is kind of like one of the highlights of my summer right now is being able to talk, <laughs> tell stories just like I'd be doing in the blind, you know? Right. And uh, so it's 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 coming, you know. September, first week of September, we, we do, uh, we start off early use in Minnesota. So um, I'm ready to start shooting some fatty honkers. Well, I'll beat you to the chase because I start August in North Dakota, so. I'll, yeah, I won't try I've to rub it in too much. Uh, you're not going to make me jealous. I'm not going to envy <laughs> that because usually it's like 80 degrees in right. middle August. Yeah. I remember that last time it was like uh, fall 2016. I think it was last time I went to North Dakota for a really goose season. And uh, it was like the last day I think it was like 55 for a high. But every other day it was like 90 for a high. And the mosquitoes were terrible. McEaston, they flew like real early. And then real late, so we just kind of hunted the mornings instead. We hunted until like 8.30 in the morning. And then anything after that, I mean, it went, it got hot quick, and the mosquitoes were just miserable. Yeah, I've never hunted in in August before, so this will be my first experience even in North Dakota and a lot of states out in the future here or this hunting season. So, um, yeah, I, I guess... September is the earliest I've ever hunted because that's when our early, early goose starts in South Dakota. But I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to fight get, the battle because I'm ready for it, I guess. I got a couple pieces of advice for you. Take a couple thermocells with you. Make sure you got plenty of packs, the little 
the little pack things, that, little uh, wafer things that go in there. And uh, go on Amazon and look up Bug Soother. It's a bug spray. It's all natural. It's like a vanilla extract and some other stuff. Um, I use that stuff in early season in Minnesota when the mosquitoes are bad. Uh, even like uh, the black flies can get kind of bad. And that stuff works wonders. It does it. I don't really? know what it is, but it yeah, it's it doesn't smell bad. It doesn't have deed in it like off. So um, it doesn't have that real strong pungent smell to it like off does, and it smells good. And it actually works pretty good, and you can spray it on your dog. Um, and I, I don't, you know, using bug spray, I, I like to spray like my arms and the back of my hands and around my ankles and stuff and back of my neck. <clears throat> but when I, before I found out about those bug soother stuff, I used off, you know, for right. years and years and years, and I hated spraying up around my face. But that stuff you can spray around your face, and it's not going to make you sick or anything. And it's not going to make your dog sick. It's Like I said, it's all natural stuff. So he, my dog gets mosquitoes and stuff flying around his ears and everything. I spray the top of his head real good and around his collar and stuff. And uh, they don't seem to bug him too much after that. So Yeah, like I said, I think I'm just more than ready to just get back to the camaraderie and meeting all these new people with the, you know, starting a podcast. You just talk to a whole bunch of people. So it's exciting mm-hmm. for me because... I'm just usually stuck, or not stuck, sorry, but usually just around the same six guys or ten guys at the hunting group, so it's going to be so much fun for me to just interact with a whole bunch of different people, so the earlier I can get to it, the better. I'll fight the mosquitoes and the hot weather just to just to beat the beat the birds up with the buddies, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I love shooting honkers. I mean, that's probably one of my favorite things to do. I'm more of a goose guy than a duck guy, I mean. So am I. I like shooting mallards. Don't get me wrong. If I'm going to shoot a duck, it's going to be a mallard. But if I got the opportunity to shoot honkers, and I've shot, shot honkers in, I don't even know, probably like 10, 10 or 12 different states now. And it's, uh, if I had the choice to shoot honkers, I'd shoot honkers all the time. But um, in the last few years, uh, the speckle belly has really grown on me. So, Part of the reason why I love hunting honkers is because they're so vocal, and you could be vocal on a goose call, and I've blown in a contest call. I've been a contest caller for years and years too, so it it was it was always a thing that I like to I like to call honkers because it was always like a challenge to vocalize with them. And now that I've uh, been focusing on speckability hunting in Arkansas quite a bit, uh, I've really been working on my spec call honing in on that and speckaboes are super vocal too i mean it kind of stems down like turkey hunters too you know turkey hunters like to interact with the turkey you know you're calling at them they call back call at them again they call back you're trying to work them in the same thing with like a speckaboe you know you work you call at them and they they call back and you get them excited and keep keep coming keep coming keep coming um we have video of a flock uh I think it was a uh, year before last. Um, I, I'm pretty much, I was pretty much the only caller that morning, but I, I murmured that flock of specs in the whole way. Like, I just, just the whole way. They came in feet down. And it was it was crazy because when I was doing that, they just, they decoyed so hard because they thought that 
our decoys were just feeding really hard and regressively, you know, and they they were like, oh crap, we need to get down there and see what's going on down there. <laughs> and the whole time they're they're yakking back and making weird noises and stuff too. And uh, goose vocalization never ceases to amaze me because there's there's always different variations of whatever sound that you try to make on a goose call. They're making things that are so nasally and so different that's that you could probably never replicate on a goose call. And that just fascinates me. Yeah. That's probably why I'm a goose hunter more than a duck hunter, because a duck hunter a duck a duck just wah, 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 all the time. Wah, 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 wah. Like Yeah, they like you said, I mean it's just such a different vast bird, I guess. Like they just like ducks they only have just a few um cadences you know and then geese mm-hmm. it's like you can get so vast with them and just i don't know like it's so different when you are calling at a goose compared to a duck like don't get me wrong duck hunting is fun but it's just something that's so exhilarating about fooling a goose because i feel like they're just they're so much more particular than a duck i guess you know right. ducks are more curious than than aptitude to like not want to be in your spread you know like they they're a lot the geese are just harder to pick apart i guess yeah that was always something different with a goose it seems like have you guys had you guys get into lessers then too because missouri you said you're in missouri right yeah we're uh the west side of missouri which i mean right across the missouri river from us would be the central flyway but every once in a blue moon we'll get a flock of cacklers here and it's not like we get thousands and thousands and thousands of them. I mean, we might get 30 or 40. We might find, you know, a, a rooster feed a, of pretty much straight honkers, and all of a sudden you you see, like, 30 little geese off the side, and you're like, huh, this might get interesting tomorrow. And we've, we've killed some cacklers over the years. Uh, I got uh, a dead mount on my wall here at the house, and it's got a cackler that <clears throat> a lesser cackler that was shot uh, just north of Kansas City. Came right. in by himself. I was the only one that shot. <laughs> Everybody else was out, outside the blind BS, and this little guy comes just falling in from who, wherever, you know. And I was having to be right there by my blind, and I pulled up and shot him, and I put him on the wall because I didn't know when the last, next time I would shoot uh, a cackler like that was. But um, a few years ago, we ran ran uh, hunts in central, north central Kansas. Uh, and, I mean, we shot lessers and stuff out there, but we ended up, I think, primarily, I think we ended up shooting more big honkers than we did lessers, but, um, and specks and snows. It's, it's a little different life out there. What, that, anything west of Topeka is really, like, real desolate out there. <laughs> it's like, there's a town here, and then the next town might be, like, 50, 60 miles, so... Better, better fuel up now while you got the chance because you're not going to see anything for a while. But uh, hunting out there is fun. I mean, if you're going to go with an outfitter in, in uh, central or western Kansas, I mean, their prices are set the way they are because you're going to spend a lot of money and fuel a scout every day because everything is so few and far between out there. But it's flat. You right. could watch your dog run away for three weeks out there. <laughs> You can, sit, you can find the highest point and find a grain bed or something like that and sit on top of it with a pair of binoculars and you can find find a feed anywhere between you and 30 miles from there. So Makes no, it really easy on scouting then? <laughs> no, not really. I was oh. just being sarcastic. Oh. It's, it's, a, 
it's a uh, it's different out there. I mean, I liked it when we we're out there, but there's other factors. I mean, if you don't got a lodge out there, it's really hard to find lodging. Like, there's not very many hotels in some of those areas, and uh, where we were at, we were staying in uh, I, know, I think it was Smith Center. And, like, we were driving all, like, to Kerwin area, and that's, like, an hour drive every morning. And when as soon as you get out of town, it's pitch black. <laughs> it's dark right. out in that area of the country. I mean, there's farms are spread out. There's not a whole lot of towns out that way. And I like that kind of stuff, though. You know, it's just, like, a sense of, like, you're disappearing, I guess. Mm-hmm. What, what all states yeah, have you hunted in, then? Uh, North and South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, uh, Mississippi. Jesus. Um, touched the northern part of Texas once but you never have you been up to canada then yes yeah i've been to canada about 15 times or so canada's got to be just way different than a lot of the aspects that we have in the united states i guess um some people argue with me on social media all all the time about hunting canada but i mean it's (laughs) dude it's nothing there's no no comparison. I mean, you're you're hunting in in their bedroom, basically. I mean, they're 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 there. Like that's where they're gonna be. And as soon as they cross the tree line, they're hungry. They've been sitting on the tundra all all freaking summer eating tundra moss. And then when they finally cross the tree line, they get in the small grain country. You know, they're 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 hungry. They want to feed. And I mean, you talk about back back the last time I was there. Um, it was a 20, 20 snow goose limit per person, and we shot our six-man limit in about 45 minutes. I mean, it's wow. It's not like that down here. I mean, the hunting pressure is a lot more in the States. Um, their their habits are different when they get in the States, too. Um, their feeding habits are a little different. Roosting habits are a little different. Everything is just – if you want to make any kind of comparison to Canada, it would be North Dakota. That's about as simple as I can get. Yeah, I I'd like to go up there, but it's just times are different now, you know, with COVID and all that bullshit. So it's like it's just a it's just another added hassle to try to go up there. And I don't know if it's going to be something that's the near future interest I have, you know. So I I think I'm going to stick to this next few years, just gathering myself around a, a lot of like the United States states and different regions that I can just withhold easily, you know. Yeah. Well, whenever clients bring up Canada or something, I always tell them, like, Canada is something that every waterfowl hunter that's an avid waterfowl hunter should experience at least once. Right. That way it gives you a different perspective on hunting here versus there. And, I mean, when you go to Canada, most of the time you're going to get spoiled when you're up there. I mean, it's, it's still hunting. There's still weather involved. You know, a lot of things can change in an instant, but... It's 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 incredible out there, and the fishing is second to none. I love fishing in Canada. Uh, most of the time, my buddies invite me to go fishing 
Missouri or something like that, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm usually not too terribly interested unless it's, I know it's like a, a farm pond that's loaded, but man, I can, I can tell you some stories about fishing in Canada. It's like, it's crazy. That's, it's fun. I've had, had some good, good experiences in Canada, but it's, it's different, you know, and when you hunt up there versus here, you're like, man, I don't ever want to hunt the States ever again. <laughs> but, uh, I don't even know. Just makes you want to change your residency to Canada, huh? Yeah. I've, I, about before my daughter was born and probably it was like my last trip to Canada. I was like, man, I was look. I was kind of seriously considering moving to Canada and, uh, I t- asked my parents, I was like, what would you think? Like, and they're like, well, you got to have a job before you get to Canada. Like, you got to, like, Canada requires all this stuff to move there from a different country that is uh, a lot different, like, if you were to move to the United States. And I was like, eh, I'd be, in, like, in a totally different country and not see my family as much, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's hard to take that transition, you know, for something that big of, I don't know, like, it's just... It'd be different, like you said. I mean, it's just a lot of effort just to when you can just go there as a as a traveling experience and just witness it for you know a week or two weeks and then and then dip out, you know. Yeah, and last time I I went up there, I mean, you could probably there was a couple other times that after the last time I went up there that we had got a bunch of guys together, and by the time it got within a couple months of when we we're supposed to go up there, it dwindled down to like three of us, and we we're like, oh, we can't do it now because. It just wouldn't be budget-wise. Right. We'd, we'd all, all end up spending a lot of money. But before COVID and about 10 years ago or so, it, it you could probably take like like six or seven of you guys could go up and probably take $1,000 with you, and you'd probably have a couple hundred bucks left over by the time you came home. Uh, a lot of stuff up there was, was cheaper. I mean, you could find – places to stay like there was a lot of farmers up there that have like a trailer house or something on their property that they rent out to fishermen or hunters for like 30 bucks a night no kidding and it was cheap i bet you it's a lot different now though oh i bet i I don't even the way canada's treating their residents with this uh covid stuff is almost like a fascism but that's a whole different subject. Yeah, way different but subject. Especially with firearms and stuff. And they've even tightened down a lot of that stuff with uh, firearms going up there. And I'm going to be surprised in the next 10 years that you wouldn't be able to take a semi-automatic shotgun up there. Right. But What's your what's your kind of like five-year plan for yourself, JR, you know, with, um, with Waterfall Assassins or just in general with your life? Well, I mean... In the next five years, I'm going to be in my early 40s, so I'm going to be, I'm trying to transition now, like, uh, I'm running more of the business side of things. I'm really not in the field as much unless I really want to, or I have clients that um, recommend me be out there, or me be their guide, because, it's hard for me to like take phone calls and answer questions and stuff when I'm out in the field and um, it's there's a the generation below me you know like guys are like in their mid ten years younger than me mid twenties or whatever that's kind of like the 
the age now that those guys got some fire under their ass. They they want to get out there and and bust ass, put on a good hunt, make some good money and tips or whatever. And uh, I try to give them the opportunity to try to take clients out more than like what I would. So uh, it's definitely in the back of my mind. In the next few years, it's going to be to the point where I'm going to be almost completely out of the field, which kind of scares me at the same time because I do love, I love taking clients out. But even now, being in my late 30s, my uh, my body doesn't agree with it as much as it used to. I mean, right. Uh, uh, my back and my knees and stuff and my hips and everything, I can tell, like, just walk, like walking in Arkansas gumbo every day. Uh, I get back to the house down there, and I take a shower, and I, I sit in that hot shower just kind of, like, just think, like, man, if I'm feeling like this now, Imagine what it's going to be like in a few years. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've always sat here and I haven't been in the gym in like 10 years and I keep keep saying to myself, like, oh, man, I should probably like maybe start working out again. But uh, it, it kind of, well, I like food and I, I really don't like to work out anymore. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, it takes a lot to work out. I mean, it takes it takes another unless it's like almost like a second or third job. It's just you gotta have so much built up willpower to to just generate yourself to go out and work out. I guess. Yeah, it takes a lot of determination. That's for sure. There's some mornings in the off season now that it's like, ah, oh, man, it's nine o'clock in the morning and I'm still laying in the bed and I'm like, hmm, I could probably go for another hour of sleep and then I fall back asleep and I wake up at noon. I'm like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, our minds are so freaking behind on sleep. If you're, if you're a waterfall hunter, you're constantly behind on sleep. Yeah, and you're so, I'm talking like once September rolls around, like the end of August and stuff really starts clicking in your mind, like, oh, man, I got to start getting stuff ready and I got to start sorting out the Canada decoys and getting things ready for early goose season. Uh, once that starts, it's like nonstop from then till the end of snow goose season. So... And for me, really, as far as I duck hunts in Missouri go, I don't really have to do a whole lot. The farms that I, I run on is, I mean, we just hunt cornfields, so it's not like we're mining for ducks or anything. It's not, we're not having to go out and plant millet or spray weeds or anything like my farmers do all that. Like that's Right. So really the summer is kind of just like, eh vacation taking a couple of vacations and i've taken a few trips to illinois to see my family and this summer now that covid's kind of chilled out a little bit and yeah i think it's kind of disappearing everything's starting to get a little bit more relaxed as far as mandates and all that stuff there for a while i was like if you leave your house we're gonna shoot you on site kind of feeling you know right or yeah. you're just in in the wrong when it's it's not in the wrong at all you know <sighs> People, people became so judgmental here in the last year. Like, if you're not wearing a mask, I, I never wore a mask this whole time. I, and, I I played the part, and I was a sheep for just situations so that I didn't cause drama or I don't like confrontation, well, so. <laughs> well, yeah, nobody really ever came at me like a Karen. It was mostly, like, store employees that all of a sudden got this uh, newfound power trip, you know, that they mm-hmm. could try to enforce you to wear a mask, and then 
But then you would be like walking around Walmart and you'd have people just stare, like look at you like, oh, how dare you not wear a mask? Like, meh. And that's like, I get anxiety anyways from having anything on my face. I don't even wear a mask hunting or anything. So it's uh, that whole time was just mind boggling. And the whole uh, toilet paper shortage too kind of blew my mind too. Like, you would think people would be going and buying a bunch of food if you're going to be stuck up in your house. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Instead of 30 cases of toilet paper, you know, woo. Well, even uh, like gloves and masks or any kind of cleaning material, like any kind of like um, cleaning wipes, oh my gosh, they were like wiped out immediately. And and still to this day, it's like still wiped out. And it's like, why? Like, geez, people are really, yeah. really like freaked out about it. And it just caught me by surprise, you know. It was like March last year. It was snow goose season, and like we legit needed toilet paper at the house. And we had, I had like four guides here. Some of my buddies would come stay for the weekend hunt, whatever. So like we were like, when you're talking about like five or six dudes in the house, like you're gonna go through some toilet paper, you know. But uh, I went went to Walmart here in town, and there was like no toilet paper, and whenever there was some toilet paper on the shelf, they like limited like one per person. And it was like one four pack per person. I was like, okay, what, what in the Nazi Germany is going on right now? Cause I went to the baby aisle and there was just like oh, a whole shit ton of baby wives. So I ended up buying like 10 packs of baby wives, <laughs> keep them in your truck and everything else, which is a very important tool to have whenever you're out on the road or, we're hunting every day is to have baby wipes in your truck. So but, are you, are you, what's one of your greatest, um, I guess experiences that you want to keep involving yourself into with, uh, you know, guiding, like, is it snow goose hunting? Is it, is it just having clients come in? Is it Canada goose hunting? I mean, which one is so far better than, than the other for you and experiencing? Well, as far as business goes, uh, like the duck hunts and spec hunts and snow goose hunts are like mainly what people will commit to buying because um, not a lot of people have the experience of like hunt ducks in a flooded cornfield or uh, don't have the availability to do it and they want to do it. And then, uh, Spec hunts is a totally different thing, you know. Not a lot of people know how to blow a spec call. Not a lot, of pe- and not a lot of people have the chance to kill a spec in whatever the state they live in. And uh, you know, I live in South Dakota. Um, in the fall, the specs might be there for a couple of days and then migrate south. Yeah, they don't stick around I mean, too long, I guess. Yeah, even in Northwest Missouri, until the last couple of years, um, like duck season. This last duck season. Our dark goose season opens Veterans Day. So whenever we have the opportunity to start dry field hunting ducks, we, we're, we're hunting over like a mixed spread. We'll have like 1,200 snow goose decoys out, about 20 dozen spec decoys, about 20 dozen duck decoys, or like field duck decoys. <clears throat> and uh, most of the shoot ducks, you know, it's the goose decoys that are primarily to attract the ducks. Because those mallards will go to any, any snow goose spread. Like they're just eat it up and uh it's a really good uh, attraction for 
running traffic birds coming out of refuge or river or whatever. Um, but almost every day we'd kill a few handful of specks. Some day, some days we'd do better than others, but <clears throat> kill a couple of snows here and there. And uh, so that that presence of those decoys out there helps attract the geese too. If sometimes you're I'm working ducks, you know, there's or I'll be working a flock of specks or something like that, and the specks are starting to look kind of good and starting to swing around and stuff, and all of a sudden you hear, and all of a sudden like. 50 mallards just dive in. And I'm saying, yeah. well, you want to shoot specs or you want to shoot the ducks? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, all right, let's kill ducks. Let's shoot them. <laughs> you know? Right, and, right, uh, right. They got to make that last minute decision. But I mean, it uh, goes back to me. I'd rather shoot a goose than a duck, but they're there to shoot shoot ducks. So we're going to shoot ducks. Um, dry field hunting mallards is we, we dry field hunter mallards from November 11th last year in Missouri to uh, well, just a couple of days before Christmas. And uh, <clears throat> wild success on that. And it was mainly just like a semi-permanent spread, like kind of like snow geese. We, the, the spread that I just described is like 1,200 snow geese decoys. About 20 dozen spec decoys, 20 dozen field duck decoys, and a handful of spinners. And we hit our, uh, I, I build custom blinds too in the summertime, but uh, put one of my blinds in the fence row, and it just it works. I mean, it worked out pretty well. And you don't have to put baiters on. You, half the time, you could probably I, take side-by-sides out to the blinds, so half the time, you probably could wear tennis shoes out there for, unless it's <laughs> muddy, but... Um, it was uh, we we held a lot of a lot of specs pretty much all season. Um, it kind of it kind of fluctuated a little bit, but there towards uh, closer to Christmas, um, the spec numbers kind of tapered off a little bit because it got colder. But we held a a pretty dramatic amount of mallards pretty much all duck season last year, and it was last year was probably one of my favorite duck seasons in Northwest Missouri, but. Arkansas was a different story. Arkansas season was terrible, and it was terrible for almost everybody down there. Some people had some good days, some some people had some stellar days, and some of those multi-million dollar duck clubs, like uh, White Oak Duck Woods, and those guys that are like they manage for ducks hardcore, you know, and they got almost like a never-ending amount of money to to throw at the right production of their duck habitat and stuff like that. <clears throat> they they did well. Um, as far as what their Instagram shows, anyways, I, I watch their stuff. It's pretty entertaining. Um, but I have flooded timber down there, and we have some fields and stuff with uh, blinds in them and, and whatnot. And it was just we didn't really our properties, anyways. Didn't really start holding ducks until dang, you're almost snow goose season. It was like that last week of January. All of a sudden, a bunch of ducks showed up, and it was like, oh, duck season's out. We're gonna start shooting snow geese now, and we hunted the farm that has our timber on it a couple times for snows. There was, uh, we kept holding like a, I don't know, roosting about 15 or 20,000 birds on. About, we'd hunt them, shoot some birds, they'd leave, and a couple days later they were back on again, so we just kept picking off at them a little, a little bit, but uh, we'd be sitting there in the snow spread waiting for the birds to get up off the roost and all of a sudden like 
20,000 ducks got off of one of our flood rice fields. And we're like, what? Where were you guys all duck season? <laughs> <laughs> and we're lucky enough that uh, most of our clients that we had duck season down there this year were optimistic, super understanding. You know, you, you always get some of the guys that are like, oh, we paid for a duck hunt. We should be killing ducks. Like, we killed a few ducks today. We're hoping we're going to do better tomorrow. It seemed like the full moon phases kind of sucked. Birds just kind of stayed hunkered down, fed all night, you know. They didn't really have to do anything. And uh, when I came to uh, – when the moon moon finally went away or we had a couple cloudy nights where the moon wasn't shining all night, which seemed like it was few and far between, we'd, we'd have a couple decent duck hunts the next day. But we didn't really have the weather up north last year that we needed to push a lot of ducks down and uh, – they all kind of seem to stall out, either like northern Missouri or um, even some of us are starting to ask questions of where these ducks are going, if right. they're moving west or, or if they're pushing, not pushing as far south as they used to. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of debates that go on about duck migration and goose migration now, whether or not, part, you know, farming practice has changed a lot in the last 15 years too and uh with no till and you know there's a lot a lot more fields north of here even i mean we're mostly corn soybeans here and everywhere north of us is is corn no iowa's corn soybeans getting to minnesota you start seeing a little bit more wheat fields and stuff up where you're at and stuff too and um those farmers harvest their corn or beans or, or wheat and they don't have to go until that stuff under anymore. So there's nothing but waste grain on all over the ground. And unless you got the snow cover to cover that snow up, it's got to be like four or five inches thick or you get a good ice crust on top of that snow. Those birds will push South just like we talked about earlier. But mm-hmm. these, uh, these mild winters and we all of a sudden like late January comes around and all of a sudden we have like, a major snowstorm, you know, right. and we were down. Uh, uh, you probably remember all the snow we got like mid February, uh, this year we were, we had like eight inches of snow in Arkansas and I've never seen a snowstorm like that. It shut down everything down there. We were pretty much uh snow locked inside the house for about a week straight. Right. Clients from South, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Louisiana and stuff coming. They're all from southern states. And we're like, well, highways and interstates are shut down, so we can't come. And uh, so me and my guys just sat in the house and drank beer and ate food. <laughs> Before that snowstorm came, I, re- I ran in the town and ran to Walmart. And bought like $400 worth of groceries just with a few of us. And uh, we... C- We'd smoke ribs one day. We cook burgers and stuff the next day or whatever. We got a bunch of cereal and stuff. Just we knew we might be locked in the house, and that's what happened. So you kind of one more thing before we get going here. So what does uh, what do you think this year is going to be like for yourself? I mean, do you think this year is going to be? I mean, has it been like you said? It's probably been pretty dry for you in Missouri. It's been dry here in South Dakota. I think a lot of places have been dry. Do you think um, your season's going to be? you know, out to be good or is it, is it going to be a, a hardship of like pressure and everything that's going to possibly push those birds, you know? Well, Northwest Missouri was, we were pretty dry until a couple of weeks ago and here 
in the last couple of weeks, we've had rain, more rain than we need. I mean, we're having downpours. Uh, so we got quite a bit of water that we don't really need now. Um, that's not to say that from here on out it could be dry, but right. uh, it rained this morning again. So I'm, I'm about over the rain. It could, it could chill out for a little bit. Um, <laughs> I know when I was in uh, North Dakota for snow goose season, um, seems like the middle of the state was really dry. A lot of the potholes and stuff that usually have a little bit of standing water in it uh, were pretty dry. A lot of farmers were burning like cattails and stuff off that were laying there and ran their discs over it and stuff, which uh, usually those little potholes and stuff um, help with the duck production. But uh, the bigger bodies of water had, it looked like it was plenty of water. They might have been just a touch low, but uh, nothing too dramatic anyways, but I don't know. Uh, one of my biologist buddies is in a in care of the banding Canada's and uh, snow geese, so um, he said that the productions look pretty good, and he said he'd give me a report on snow geese here in a couple weeks. But uh, it, uh, you know, being the weatherman that I am, <laughs> you know, I, I could sit here and, and have a prediction. I hope it's going to be good. I mean, it kind of depends on whether or not Canada opens their border or not, which I don't know if that's going to happen or not this year even. Um, I've seen mixed reviews and mixed articles on whether or not uh, Trudeau would open up the Canadian border to Americans or not, but um, I don't really know if the lack of hunting pressure from American hunters in Canada made that much of an effect last year. I think it was mostly weather-based. Like, we didn't have the, the weather that we needed to push the ducks down. But, I mean, we had uh, we had a pretty decent spec season in Arkansas um, and a pretty decent snow goose season from down there to up. I mean, we had some up and down days too. But For sure. uh, all we could do is be hopeful, I guess. I mean, we could hope that it's going to be a good season. And it just it's going to happen however it's going to happen anyways. But... Um, if I, if I had a guess that I think, uh, like Northwest Missouri, I, I think our late November, early December push of ducks is going to be pretty good. And then, uh, like it usually is. And then, um, anything else after that kind of just depends on how the weather plays out about that time. Anything in December weather wise kind of affects everything <coughs> late, late season Arkansas, Louisiana and everything down there, south of Missouri, uh, kind of gets affected by the weather of December, you know. Right. But um, as far as client bookings go, I'm getting pretty full. Well, that's got that's got to be a good thing rather than a bad thing. Week, weekends have been booked up, and the weekdays are are slowly getting uh, more clients booked up for that too. So. Um, I don't have very much room for weekends of snow goose season even, so um, it's pretty pretty good on that, that standpoint of things, but uh, now we just need the birds to cooperate and the weather to cooperate in our favor, and then it is what it is after that. I mean, after doing this for so long, it just, all you can do is try. Right. And if uh, 
if the birds don't want to do it, then they don't want to do it. And there's, if you throw everything at them, they can. I mean, there's no lack of effort. It's just uh, whether the birds are liking it that day or not. Well, JR, I hope the best for you and Waterfowl Assassins and your adventures uh, this hunting season. It's it's going to be nice just to get back and definitely just join that camaraderie with people and enjoy the hunting aspect of everything that comes sure. with it. So, um, like I said, hopefully the season goes well for you and everything of that nature. And thank you for spending your time and, and taking time out of your day to sit down and talk and tell your stories. So. Yeah, and if you want to come down and experience big snow goose spreads in the hills of northwest Missouri in the beginning of March, just let me know. I'll get you down here and we'll do a podcast in the middle of the field or something. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, a I, bunch of dead snow geese. Yeah, I definitely would be down for that. So sometime in, sometime before March, I'll I'll reach out to you or we'll keep in touch throughout the season. So, so yeah. all righty. Well, JR. Yeah, you got me. So. Yeah, I'll give you a holler sometime, so. All right, bud. All right, take care, buddy. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Yep. It was good talking to you. Bye.